folks, and welcome to the Sense and Theory podcast, where we cut through the bias and extremism in order to find common ground that brings us together. I'm Sense. And I'm Theory. And today we've got another one of our patented grab bag episodes. We're going to talk uh, Virginia gun rallies. We're going to talk Bernie in the media. We're going to talk Trump in the media a little bit. We're going to talk automation, just a, a, an array, a, a buffet, if you will, of topics for your listening pleasure. Absolutely. Mm, a buffet. Uh, before we get started, though, just want to say, hey, guys, continue to hit us with those emails, the likes on social media. We really appreciate it. Love hearing from you guys. Uh, we could we could stand to see some more traffic in the Reddit. We sure. we had some discussions going on earlier this year. Those have kind of petered off a little bit. Get those back up. Come in. Yell at us. Say that. Well, don't say I'm wrong, but say sense is wrong a lot. And 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 yeah, man, we'll have those good discussions. That's what we want to foster here on the show. I tell you, those five star reviews on iTunes they make me feel real good. Keep those coming, folks. Yeah, absolutely. So first up, let's talk about that gun rally in Virginia, right? On January 20th, 22,000 people attended a rally at the state capitol in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, this rally is actually it's an annual uh, lobby day event organized by the Virginia Citizens Defense League. It's been held since 2003, and the explosion of attendance at this year's rally is attributed to the passage and proposal of various gun control bills by the Virginia State Legislature, which just recently flipped to Democratic and control. It's, and it's funny. You say this happens every year, huh? Yeah. They've, they've because been... the, the media coverage and the Twitter sphere and the blogosphere and everything, they didn't act like this was something that happened every year. Yeah, well, it's interesting that it got lost. I mean, I'll give them to their credit. Again, attendance exploded. It's in the context of, uh, like I said, the, the Democratic state legislature is proposing and passing all these gun control bills. There's been over 100 municipalities in Virginia, like where the sheriffs and the mayors are like, we're just not enforcing these laws. Right, and the, and the media coverage didn't start with this rally. It started right. before... Um, when you had these sanctuary cities pop yeah. up who said, we're not going to enforce your unconstitutional gun laws. Right. Um, that's when Mr. Blackface Ralph Northam. Northam yeah, who is uh, still who is the governor still of the Virginia. Governor, uh, floated the idea of bringing in the National Guard yeah. um, to force cities uh, to, to comply with these laws. And I, people started scratching their heads like, the National Guard, really? And they started asking questions. And I think the National Guard came out and said, like, well, maybe, maybe we might <laughs> if he asks us yeah. to. No, like, I love the idea that all of a sudden there's something really wrong with the sanctuary city idea, right? Because, I mean, in effect, that's that's the exact same thing. So so should we send the National Guard into San Diego and New York to shut down the... <laughs> to make them enforce the, the immigration is, is, laws? Is, according to Ralph Northam, we should, who's still the governor of Virginia. Well, I think this speaks right to... Well, a couple things. For one, um, it speaks to states' rights, cities' rights, people's right to self-govern. Mm -hmm. And and what do we do when federal law conflicts with state law or with super local law? And I right. think um, we saw a conflict with marijuana laws on mm -hmm. this front. And we had states that bucked up against the federal government and said, nah. So – I find it incredibly hard to have a consistent position on this issue because I'm one of those people that was like, yeah, buck those federal marijuana laws. Yeah, yeah get yeah. out of here. But with guns, I'm like, nah, nah, the Constitution trumps this stuff. You know, yeah. if you're going to pass unconstitutional gun laws, I feel like cities, especially cities, we're talking. So uh, back up for a second. Virginia is a state where 
they have what two, three large cities, and yeah. the population of those two or three cities equals the rest of the entire population. Yeah, no, it's, of it's Virginia. It's actually almost like in its own way, and I, I think pretty much most states are becoming that way. The state itself is kind of a, a stand-in for the larger picture of you know America. You've right. got the urban metropolitan centers, and those heavily metropolitan blue. centers, which yeah. are heavily heavily blue in this case. Um, don't feel like they need guns, don't feel like they want guns. Mm-hmm. Um, and when Virginia flipped blue, they decided this was a mandate. Meanwhile, yeah. the rest of the state, half of the population, um, which is also deeply red, but also deeply rural, yeah. um, you know, believe that they use these guns to hunt. They use them to protect their property from coyotes, which mm-hmm. I don't know if people know, the coyote population is kind of exploding across the United States. Yeah. Um, coyotes are killing cows and things. So, I mean, I guess you could hunt the coyotes with the bone arrow. Anyway, that's besides <laughs> the point. My, my point is that that we're at this place where we're like 50 50, mm-hmm. you know, and Virginia illustrates it perfectly. Half of the people feel like no guns bad, and half the people feel like no guns good. And, and what the heck do we do? Yeah. Like, and, and, and when it comes to a head, do we really enforce um, the, I, what I would call the usurpation of the Constitution with more guns? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, the I, National Guard comes in with rifles? I, I think, and, and I mean, here's, here's the problem. Like, I think that ultimately um, you you don't want to uh, restrict somebody's, you know, freedom by, by, you know, taking away their liberties or co- coercing them. Now, I know that people in urban metropolitan centers, they can make an argument that having all these guns out there is depriving us of the, you know, I don't know, pursuit of happiness or life or liberty or something. I'm sure there's a case that can so be made. So are idiots. Can, we, their rights are being can we send them all to Guantanamo well, Bay? What what I'm getting at is though is I think that you're always safe. You were talking about trying to maintain a consistent position. I mean, for me, it's 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 siding with the 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 minority. You know what I'm saying? In a sense, it's it's like saying, look, the majority is going to impose its will, but there is a line. There's a line which you can't cross. And in this instance, that happens to be the Constitution. Now, with the the you know you brought up the marijuana laws. That's it's a little bit different deal because again, it's kind of the other way around. You know what I'm saying? Like the constitution is actually on the side of, of where the law smokers. hasn't been formed yet. You right, know what I mean? Right. So, so if you're sticking with uh, the, the constitution and, and largely allowing people to live and let live, then, then that's where I want to be. You know what I mean? So in, in this particular issue, the, are the gun laws themselves, uh, anything that's just like out of the box. Well, uh, you know, Virginia, they, they've, they've considered a bunch of laws. I know at one point there was an assault, uh, rifle ban. Oh, and, and it and, was, and it was broad and sweeping. It was, I mean, anything it, with a pistol grip, anything with ports on the barrel, anything with a shroud of like, it, it ended up being 80% of all rifles and, and right. even handguns. I think any, any pistol that was manufactured with a magazine capacity over 10 or something stupid like that, which yeah. is like every handgun ever made practically. Yeah. And, and while I know that like it was being proposed. So since they've seen this pushback, I think that one is like, uh, maybe not died in committee, but it's not advancing through what is advancing through is there's a red flag law. And I got to tell you, I looked at the red flag law and, uh, you know, I've, I've voiced my concerns about red flag laws, uh, you know, on the show before, but, 
Honestly, looking at this one, there were a lot of things that alleviated uh, some of my concerns. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, the initial uh, run of you know confiscating the guns only lasts 14 days. Okay. I, I think that's good. Uh, it has to be renewed at that point, and then it has to be renewed 30 days after that. And so a, the, a couple of checkup periods to make sure there's some due process going yeah, on. Yeah, it, it basically, you know, looking at the the piece of legislation overall, I felt like concerns from people like you or I were, were being addressed. Like Virginia was trying, mm-hmm. you know, uh, there was a weird thing in the uh, in the red flag law. You could choose to instead of turning your weapons over to the state to turn them over to someone you trusted who's over the age of 21. Brilliant. Right. That that sounded pretty cool. Right. But then there's this weird thing. If if you're the person that the red flag law was issued against and you get a hold of firearms in the period with which you're not supposed to have them, that is a misdemeanor. Right. Okay. If you give your guns to someone over the age of 21 and they let you access your guns, it's a felony. <laughs> and I thought that was really odd. I mean, I get it. I mean, they're it trying was a to misdemeanor for me to get the guns from him, but <laughs> yeah. for him to allow me to have yeah, the, the gun, guy you're worried that's about so it's much worse, just a misdemeanor, you know, it's, uh, uh, I don't know. That's a little weird, but it does seem like they're trying. Um, uh, in addition to that, there's a restriction on uh, handgun purchases to one a month. Uh, which apparently is a law that Virginia used to have and had been repealed by a red legislature. I guess so. that's what to stop gun runners or something from buying up I, I don't guns know. in Virginia Honestly, and bringing them to DC. Uh, like, I, I mean, I, I saw one lawmaker quoted as saying, "Like nobody needs more than one handgun a month. You know, nobody needs more than twelve in a year or something. <laughs> no one like needs that. more than one car in a month. Yeah, either. I mean, let's just set arbitrary limits stop on everything. People yeah. from buying them. Uh, there's a law against carrying firearms uh, in a public place at an event that requires a permit. So, in other words, uh, you know, for instance, you think back to Gilroy with the garlic festival, you would not be able. Uh, to openly carry in a, in a public event Is, like that. Do you know that. if that's open carry or if that's uh, concealed You know, I'm carry. not sure. I, it didn't make it into the notes. So I mean, if it's concealed, it's not like they're going to be stopping people for it. Right, but right. still, you, you know. Um, and then there was a mandatory background check for all gun sales, which we have supported on the show before. So it, I, I think it has more to do with the way this has gone down, it's been like, you know, we got this blue legislature in, in, in Virginia and it's just been like open season. Like we're going to do this gun law and this gun law and this gun law. Yeah. And everybody's like, Hey buddy, pump brakes, like, you know, slow down and let's talk. Well, about I this. know most of the pushback I saw from pro gun people, um, especially initially was with the assault weapons ban, mm-hmm. um, which was, which was outrageous. I mean, it was ridiculous. It was, it was more restrictive than the federal assault weapons ban that has expired. Um, So, you know, I don't know when that stopped Mm -hmm. proceeding, um, but I don't think people got that message. Well, so I think a lot of the people who are going, and also that was the, that was the reason that was the, the, the rallying cry for Northam to say, Hey, bring in the national guard, you know, was for this confiscation attempt and stuff. And so, so I feel like there's, there's two sets of things going on here. And, and one, threat has already passed and people don't know about it. Yeah. So I think a lot of those people at the rally probably were upset about the assault weapons ban. Yeah. And, and, and not to say that they're not upset about red flag laws and, and they're not upset about, you know, one gun a month. Right. Right. Um, but well, I don't think those things are nearly, um, nearly as threatening to gun folks as, as a blanket assault weapons ban. Well, I think too, like you also, you just had this massive event that was kind of in motion. Right. So I think it was roughly, uh, four days to a week uh, before the rally took place is when that, that bill kind of died out. It missed a vote or something like that. And I think, you know, at that point, people were like, 
well, I mean, I'm going to this thing. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm going to show them, like, you know, in case they want to rewrite it and try again, like, hey, you know what I mean? Like, that we're making a statement here. And and the media, as usual, went kind of nuts and yeah. had a field day with this rally. Uh, you saw you saw people going, oh, it's it's a bunch of white supremacists gathering yep. with their guns to you know to threaten uh, to threaten government and yep. and this that and the other and. Uh, you know, well, expecting of he he declared Northam declared a state of emergency. He did, he did. For Lord's sake. So okay, before before I lay into Northam for the way he reacted, I'm going to mention this. There was a, a a group apparently called the Base, which is a, a apparent white supremacist group that nobody had ever heard of before this, but whatever. Uh, but anyway, this group called the base that the FBI busted a few days before the rally. They had them on tape basically saying that they were going to take guns to the rally in hopes of sparking a civil war. Like they were okay, going there. So that's that accelerationism. To, they were going there to start shit. Same thing we saw with the New Zealand shooter. Yeah. Um, and even I think in the Gilroy uh, shooter case, they, they want to push things to the forefront of public consciousness and basically push us towards societal breakdown yeah where they think that you know we'll will war and some massive thing will happen and we'll build something better from the rubble right um which which might you know again we'll say we don't know if that's all that northam was seeing we don't know if there's anything else he was seeing that might have led to the the state of emergency but at the same time there was there was a tone of alarmism with all of Northam's actions, he restricted, uh, there was, uh, you know, no open carrying on the Capitol grounds yep. and stuff. You, you had to, to get to that point of the rally, you had to give up your guns and there were like 6,000 people there, but the other 16,000 were just outside that cordon. You know what I mean? Um, and, and just in the media too, they were, you know, this way they were casually like this white supremacist rally that's going to be taking place right. and they're drawing parallels to Charlottesville and it's 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 not the same. I mean, it really isn't. And and what I thought was was really wild was, uh, you know, like after the fact, there was this piece by um, Jamel Bowie, who's uh, you know writes for the New York Times, and it was called something like the the iconic man with a gun is a white man with a gun, and he goes through all this stuff. And basically, the point of his article was, is that black people could have never. Uh, have demonstrated like that. You couldn't have <laughs> twenty two thousand black people there armed and everything. Someone you, should you couldn't have tell this know. man about the Black Panthers. Well, he no, he actually brings up the Panthers and he brings up that Reagan tried to get rid of open carry after the you know I think he did get rid of open carry in the state of California after the Panthers and stuff. Um, it, it, it's you know we you are very much so at that point in my opinion just just actively trying to racialize this like like the iconic man with a gun is a white man because you are forcing it to be he, he's basically arguing in the piece that because of our history and everything you know the, the idea of like gun rights and stuff is like inextricably linked with white supremacy now we saw uh you know people putting up pictures of people at the rally black people asian people oh yeah because uh, the LGBTQ. twitterverse started going nuts and going yeah. there's only white they you know they'd post pictures of a group with you know 20 30 white people in it no there's no black people here well i'd like to say for one the the media northam etc at all all said it was going to be a white supremacist rally <laughs> yeah. so how many how many colored folks Colored folks is that PC? Yeah, I don't know about that. Be uh, careful. People of color, folks of <laughs> how many folks of color yeah. didn't show up because they were afraid that it was going to be a rally full of white supremacists. Right. On the other hand, well, they actually real quick they actually you know he discouraged 
counter protest because basically he was saying, and I mean, it's paternalistic as hell. They were basically saying, um, you know, to the Antifas and stuff of the world, Hey, don't show up. They'll kill you. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like in a sense, like that's the argument that was being made. And Bowie actually mentioned that in his article was like, yeah, there wasn't any incidents and it was peaceful, but it's because counter protesters stayed away. (laughs) Well, here's what I would say. Here's, here's what I would say. If counter protesters, if, if Antifa and them staying away means there's no violence at an event, what does that mean? (laughs) If we think that through. I mean, you could say that, you know, Antifa is antagonizing, and they are. They're antagonistic. Um, But there's two sides to any altercation. I mean, and we don't know what would happen if Antifa showed up. I I think it would have gone off fairly peacefully. I think there's a good chance it would have. You've got plenty of of protest videos of Antifa clashing with armed people and no gunshots being fired. I mean, they throw... I'm trying to point out the error in their logic. Thing. The only reason catastrophe was right. is because this element wasn't there. Because and there like, were these thousands well, it of people. sounds like that element's the problem by your logic. You know <laughs> what mad, I mean? murderous people with guns. <laughs> yeah. And and the event went off without a hitch. Uh, and, and it was funny to see. I, I got I to gotta backtrack for a second because it was really funny to see over the course of the day people on Twitter going to find pictures from the rally with black people, with Asian people, et cetera, et cetera. Every yeah. Twitter thread I found where someone was like, oh, you know, white supremacists, no black people around. There was photos, five, six, seven, eight photos yeah. of, of, you know, the Asian Open Carry Association yeah. and, and, and these guys and that guy. And it felt a little hokey. And, you know? No, and to a like, degree, to me, like, like some of that's tokenism. Yeah, and, you're and picking out your token, yeah. your yeah. token black guy to say. But, I, but the point is to me that there is a concerted effort, um, and I hate saying on the right, on the left, but it, it, it is. It's on the left to, to make Second Amendment issues into a nationalism, white nationalism, white supremacist mm-hmm. to conflate and push these all in the same bubble. And it's it's not okay. It's yeah. like it is it is the weaponization of of white supremacy from the other side. And and it's not fair because there's tons, thousands, millions of black people who care about their second amendment rights. Yeah. And for good reason. Yeah. If you look back to the Black Panthers, would they have gotten the progress that they that they desperately needed from the government if they had not marched with assault rifles? Right, right. I mean, let's be honest here. Yeah. If we're talking about the rights of citizens that are being trampled by an authoritarian tyrannical government, yeah. we have historical examples not 100 years ago. Yeah, as 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 we've said time and again, the idea of the Second Amendment is to allow a minority to to level the playing field. And right. I mean, whatever that minority may be. In this case, in the state of Virginia right now, it's gun owners. You know what I mean? But but whether it be black people, LGBTQ people, uh, uh, Hispanic people, whoever it is, the idea is that if, there, if we do get close to that red line, the oh shit button, that they don't have to just go gently into the night. Like right. they have a means to stand up and say no. And and here's the thing, man. You want to talk about pearl clutching and and trying to gin up uh, 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 scare tactics and all that good stuff. I want to talk about Chris Hayes for a second, right? There's there's a guy. Some of you may know. Uh, he has a political show on MSNBC. His name is Chris Hayes. I think it's called All In with Chris Hayes. Uh, he's you know he's he's a pretty smart guy. Like I don't agree with a lot of his politics, but for the most part. Um, he shows himself to be knowledgeable, which makes this all the worse. Now, don't went to me, Brown, right? Yeah, he went to Brown. Um, I, I think, in my opinion, he's dishonest as hell. 
Uh, and this reinforces that, but, but I've never had any reason to think that Chris Hayes was dumb, right? Now, I'd like for you guys to listen to this clip that happened on the Chris Hayes show the day of the rally. The inescapable fact of this kind of event is that, yes, it's peaceful protests, it's First Amendment protected speech, but the implicit and explicit message of a bunch of heavily armed people marching on a state's capital is this. Don't you dare enact your policies. If you do, we will use these guns against you. Vanita, I, you know, you're someone who has worked in civil rights uh, law m most of your career. And obviously, like, peaceable assembly to petition your government is protected in, <laughs> under the First Amendment, even if, you know, you don't agree with people. I just like there. I guess I struggle with, like, just the implied message of armed folks. Um, and sometimes the explicit message is that, like, we will use these if you, <laughs> if you try to enact your laws. So you're telling me that Chris Hayes, who's been uh, hosting political shows on MSNBC for the better part of the last 10 years, who went to Brown, who is an avowed leftist, has never, never had to wrestle with that argument of, from pro-Second Amendment folks. Right. He's, he's never had to point, come to grips with that. The before. whole point of the argument is that, yes... These guns may be used against the government in case of a tyrannical government. In case you do things that we cannot comply with anymore. He's like, the idea that, that they would, you know, use guns and, and, and say that this is how it's going to be and like intimidation and everything. That's how the damn country was founded. Like, right. like seriously, that's exactly how it was founded. And, and, and to sit there and act like, you know, this is something new. This is some something another unchecked aggression from the right, from the white supremacists. They're 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 moving on us. They're taking it. You know, it's like, dude, come on, man. Like all you're doing is trying to scare the hell out of people who don't own guns. And that's it's, all and you're it, doing. And it's working. I think. Yeah. I mean, I and I think that's where the rubber hits the road in this argument. Is there's there's people who who don't who wouldn't pick up a gun and fight if the country was putting you know, Mexicans into concentration camps. Right. There are people who would cower in their homes. There are also, thankfully, lots of people who would pick up guns and do what's needed to do yeah. to overthrow our tyrannical government. Like, no, absolutely. And, and, and at the end of the day, I think that that's what people have, have they, they've got to start seeing these things and like start acknowledging these things when they see them, like with Chris Hayes or, or some of the other stuff, like, you, you know, he knows better. Like, like just take it back a level for a second. When you're watching the news, stop and, and think about what you're actually seeing instead of getting swept up necessarily in the narrative that they're trying to sell you. And just think that through because you know, he knows better. And I think that that kind of perfectly leads into our next story. I mean, I'm not saying I'm the king of segues or whatever, but I'd like to talk for a second about the way that the media has treated Mr. Bernard Sanders, right? Mr. Bernard Sanders. Yes, Mr. Bernard Sanders. I'm trying to be respectful today. So recently, you know, as we're moving through the primary season, we've seen a, a rehashing, a re-explosion of a story that was prevalent in the 2016 campaign, and that is that the media uh, is allegedly uh, being super unfair to the Bernie Sanders campaign. Oh, it's not even allegedly. Well, Let's be I'm honest. Just trying to be impartial to begin with, but you're right. It's 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 not allegedly at all. Uh, there are numerous instances being cited online of of various organizations. Whether you want to talk MSNBC or Fox News or CNN or or wherever you want to go, um, 
we're talking about uh, misrepresenting data, skewed poll numbers, situations where we're just leaving my man's name off the screen. Right. I we, mean, got, it's, we got it's Chuck shameless. Todd on NBC citing Bernie losing five points in a poll, which he actually gained five points. <laughs> yeah. You've got the infamous CNN ticker tape. Uh, you know, saying Warren leads yep. when it was when it was Bernie leading. Yeah, uh, there's example after uh, example. No, one of my favorite is Maddow uh, cited a study showing that 67 percent of Bernie's donors were male, and she like laid in. I think it was him and Buttigieg, and she's like laying into him. She's like, dudes, you got to do better and everything. She never cited or never explained that the study she was citing only looked at donors over two hundred dollars. Obviously, Bernie's campaign is is very famous for having seventy some odd percent of its donors be people donating under two hundred dollars. Yeah, so right? we threw out like seventy percent of those results off the bat, and then and then most recently, Joy Reid <laughs> invited a body language expert on during the this whole Warren Sanders little spat that's been going on. Uh, and, and the body language expert declared that Bernie Sanders is a liar because his body posture reminded her of a turtle. <laughs> and <laughs> dude, body language experts are so terrible. I mean, it, it's like the worst of the worst junk science on the planet. I mean, you just have someone look at someone. They make a completely subjective determination about their posture and the way they move their lips. They literally pick things like he looked like a turtle. Yeah. Therefore, he's lying. Yeah. So I, what do you do when you're watching the news? I, you know, I clearly remember there was an instance where they, they, they showed the candidates and they showed them in order of how they were polling in a certain poll. And it said, you know, here's first place, here's third place, here's fourth place, fifth place, sixth place. And, and quite clearly, Bernie was second, so they just left second place off the bracket. Like, what do you do when the media as a whole, and I mean, we're talking about CNN, MSNBC, you know, across the spectrum, um, when they're treating a certain candidate that way or when they're being that openly dishonest and hostile. Well, and you've seen, you've seen Hillary Clinton come out on, on the Stern show. Mm-hmm. You know, talking about uh, I don't remember when maybe maybe it was the Stern interview when she said no one likes him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you well, know, he's a he's a career politician that no, no one will work with. I think it was the Stern interview is when she said that that he hurt her deeply in 2016 or whatever. And then here recently she said that nobody likes him. But there's also been stories recently um, that you know as Bernie has has moved up to the front and I and I want to be I want to be clear about something for a second. There's also instances that are completely normal, completely normal treatment for someone who is leading in the polls that people are like, oh, look at how the media is being towards Bernie Sanders. I'm not talking about that. For instance, uh, he was, uh, you know, on CBS Evening News with Nora O'Donnell and she asked him. Uh, you know, how much his, his plans were going to cost. Oh, and yeah, she, she was kind of playing hardball with it. Yeah, her. she was playing hardball. She said, I, I've got here $60 trillion. And he said, well, hang on. He's like, nobody knows what they're going to cost. And she's like, "What? are you saying you're asking people to buy a plan and you don't know what it's going to cost? And everybody was like, see the media bias and everything? No, dude, she was just, actually, she was doing the exact same thing that everybody lauded the BBC guy for doing to right. Shapiro. It's right? what she should have been doing. She yeah. was doing her job. She was doing like good well. reporting. And yes, if a debate, you know, I heard the last debate was like just hammer and Bernie and stuff. Well, there was also a Warren debate back when she was the front runner. Right. There was a Biden debate. I and mean, I got to say, I liked his answer. I mean, he was he was at least honest. He's like, you know, I, I don't know. It depends how how how, how much is health care going to cost yeah, yeah. in 10 years when we when we move everything over to this new platform. If, if it drives costs down and unknown, 
Yeah. And we don't know how much it's going to cost. So yeah, that was a, that was a that was a fair answer from Mr. <laughs> Bernard Sanders. Who who but, I have to say, watching his interviews lately, he likes to just completely not answer the question uh, well. and go off on a totally unrelated <laughs> tangent. I okay. love it. Back to the matter at hand before you start <laughs> a diatribe for me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but there is a concerted effort. You alluded to it with Hillary, and then I've also seen articles about. Uh, what Obama's game plan is going to be, because apparently there is a point where if Bernie is leading, Obama is going to come out and actively oppose him. At least that's what like, you know, the talk is, what sources say and stuff like well, that. I got to wonder, man, how much of this is straight out of out of the Trump playbook? I feel like a lot of Trump support was drummed up because of attacks against him by the establishment, people, right? By yeah. the establishment that people felt were unfair characterizations. So, I, I wonder, A, how much of this is is purposeful in mm -hmm. order to drum up support in the face of these, you know, these unfair treatments, mm -hmm. or how much of it is liable to just backfire on them, if that's not the case, if they're not doing it on purpose, how much of that is liable to backfire and drive Bernie supporters to support him even more? Yeah. Because people love to do it. You know, you take you take a person you support who's being unfairly treated, and your support for them goes up. Right. I mean, it is it is the Trump effect. We yeah, could name yeah. it the Trump. Effect. No, it absolutely makes it more sympathetic. And I actually have upgraded Bernie's odds uh, in my head dramatically, not just because of the polls, but because of the eerie similarities that that there are between this campaign and Trump's campaign. Right. Uh, one of the things I think was interesting was uh, Matt Taibbi or to to Lee, however you say it, I screw it up every week. Um, the dude over at the Rolling Stones, who's who's a brilliant journalist, and I wish I could say his name right. Um, he actually, in a piece about this, he he drew a parallel. There was a body language expert who insisted a couple years ago that uh, Trump was a Nazi because the way he said hello was like the <laughs> Hitler like salute. The Hitler salute. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, he's there are a lot of eerie parallels between the two. Like once you start looking at it, the treatment between the two. And I and I also I think it's curious how you know for instance Bernie has recently uh, come under fire for for accepting Joe Rogan's endorsement. Oh right? yeah, because you gotta love Joe that. Rogan is a is a terrible Nazi fascist, and um, you know so he's taken all this. He's alt right adjacent. He's yeah. Well, some people don't even say adjacent, but he's taken all this heat from people like uh, Carlos Maza and 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 the Human Rights Council actually put out a statement saying, Bernie, you cannot accept this endorsement and everything. You know, I thought, it dude, was that's how people like the Human Rights Council lose public support. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because if you listen to Joe Rogan, you know, he's not a Nazi. You know, he's not a white supremacist. You know, he doesn't hate trans people <clears throat> like all of the, the accusations against Joe Rogan. You know, sure, he's had Alex Jones on the show. He's had some he's had questionable people on the show but he doesn't bend and kowtow to their their beliefs and i think he's pretty clear about his own beliefs he's pretty freaking liberal in yeah. fact he's so liberal that he supports democratic socialist bernie sanders yeah well i i think these situations they 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 just they lay the hypocrisy bare like in in my opinion right and and i'm not asking you to co-sign this at all but i'm i am about to to draw a parallel which i think is ridiculous um, these same people have no problem with anybody, you know, interacting with, uh, you know, Tamika Mallory, who's really good friends with, uh, you know, Farrakhan mm. or Sean King, who's really good friends with Farrakhan. But all of a sudden, Joe Rogan is a problem. Right. So I'm not I'm not saying that I want anybody to criticize Bernie 
for the people who endorse him. I want to be, I want to be very clear right there, but at the same time, I would like to see, you know, some even handedness with it. I would like to see either. We're not going to do that or we're going to, we're going to do it all across the board. (laughs) We're not just going to make Joe Rogan out to be the Fuhrer. We're also going to look at anybody who pervades hate and say, you can't accept endorsements. from. Well, I think we've talked about this on the show, you know, plenty of times. I think the listeners know my position and that's, you can be friends with terrible assholes and not be a terrible asshole yourself. Right. And in fact, the only way to turn a terrible asshole into a normal human being is by interaction with normal human beings. It's kind of like the zombie effect. So if we if we sequester ourselves from people we feel are dangerous and 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 have awful viewpoints, then we allow those awful viewpoints to grow in a vacuum. Yeah. You know, it, it goes straight back to Daryl Davis. Yeah. You know, how do you how do you change these people? If you perceive Joe Rogan as a um, you know, as evil or whatever yeah, they're yeah. saying, then you know, how do you change Joe Rogan? Like you just leave him alone? No, yeah. man. Plus, Joe Rogan ain't that bad, bro. <laughs> like what he doesn't want, he doesn't want trans males to dominate, I'm sorry, trans women to dominate female sports. Yeah. Like that's the most problematic view that Joe well, Rogan holds. He's also, he's apparently he said the N-word a ton. They've got oh, really? clips, you know, he, he runs a, podca- a four okay. hour podcast every day, you know. Well, uh, we should but, put him in in the gulags for that. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I, I saw the thing with the the various clips, and it was just like cut together. I don't know how many of those like he was like talking about it. I none of them seemed like he was like hey and calling somebody the n word. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I, I don't I don't really know what's going on there. So I don't feel comfortable talking about it. But I will say <laughs> what what is clear is that there is something. Uh, absolutely going on with the media, with Bernie Sanders. Oh, yeah. There's also, we know, something going on with the establishment in Bernie Sanders. For Christ's sakes, I think uh, uh, the head of the DNC, Tom Perez or whatever, they just set Barney Frank as as the as on the rules committee of the the convention <laughs> and it's well known that Barney Frank hates Bernie Sanders. Like yeah. so so it's obviously happening. What I think is interesting is people who get up all excited and angry about that and don't have anything to say about the way the media treats Trump and people who get all upset about the way the media treats Trump and don't have anything to say about Bernie Sanders. (laughs) Sanders. (laughs) Like you, you idiots, it's all the same thing. Like God love you. You know what I mean? Like if, if you just look, the only way that we're going to be able to fight something like that is if you you both set that aside. No one, no one thinks that deeply. It's just it's just flag waving for my team, and, <laughs> it, and Bernie really Sanders is. is on my team. So if the ref calls foul, I'm gonna hate it. Yeah, and 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 Trump is on their team. So if the ref calls foul, I'm gonna love it. Well, the idea is like Trump deserves it, right? Like so that that would be well, you know, we don't want to. Uh, it, it's okay. I mean, you know, we'd prefer for them not to lie about Trump, but at the same time, Trump's a pretty bad guy. So that's a See, that's the problem with this, is that now you have no leg to stand on when they start coming from Bernie. Well, well, Bernie's right. Well, dude, everybody thinks they're right. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like you, you, you've completely undercut yourself in the argument. And I think that I, I'd like to actually talk for a second about what's going on in Puerto Rico, because that is a perfect example. Mm. Okay. I'd like to see how you're going to segue this one. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to go straight into the story for one. On January 18th, Puerto Rican activist Lorenzo Delgado released footage taken inside a warehouse near the the town of Ponce, Puerto Rico, that showed the building full of unused FEMA emergency supplies. 
Right. And and BuzzFeed says the footage shows pallets of pallets of water, generators, baby diapers, wipes, mounds of blue tarps, boxes of ready meals uh, sitting inside this huge facility with signs that say FEMA not for resale. Some of the supplies had been sitting there since Hurricane Maria struck in 2017. So would that, in fact, be all those supplies that Trump didn't send back in 2017 when he hated the island nation, the territory of Puerto Rico? And they just, they just disappeared. Are those the supplies that he kept saying we're sending and that they kept saying we're not getting, he's lying to you? Oh, that oh the boy. media said, that the Puerto Rican government said, here they are sitting in warehouses. And I know what your first thought is. I was telling somebody about this the other day, and because of that whole team sport aspect, like what you were just talking about first thing out of their mouth was well how do i know that trump didn't just send those supplies down there like last week this stuff expired in early 2019 (laughs) because they were dated because they're dated because they have things that say hurricane maria relief on them you know what i mean like like so why is that not blowing up right now because i've seen a couple news stories right But that's a huge whoopsie, right? Because we jumped all over Trump, like as as a nation, the media, for completely botching the Puerto Rico thing. And and on top of that, actually, five days before this stuff was found, there was an article about him, you know, withholding this $8 billion aid package to Puerto Rico. And Nancy Pelosi and Bob, God bless him, Senator Bob Menendez, who's still in office, by the way, um, was there and they were saying, hey, Uh, You know, it's illegal for you to withhold this aid. He hates Puerto Rico. He hates brown people. I mean, you know, they didn't say that. That's what was implied. And, uh, you know, Trump's awful. This is just like the Ukraine thing. He's withholding aid for his own gain and all this stuff. And the Trump administration was saying, we're trying to set up an oversight system because we don't think the aid is getting to the people. And they were like, oh, this is just more bullshit from Trump and ludicrous. And then what do you know? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But nobody, we're, we're not talking about, we should definitely be talking about that. Well, that, and that's Puerto a major Rico has story. had, has had, you know, issue after issue with corruption in the government. They've yeah. ousted their, they've ousted their leaders several times in a row, yeah. you know, millions of dollars in aid money going missing. Oh, they're mad um, as hell. Ending up in personal accounts and things like yeah. Well, the thing is, is that like, I, I, you know, I don't know if very many people know it, it's not just Hurricane Maria. Puerto Rico has been racked by a series of earthquakes yeah. recently, too. So, I mean, they that ring of fire is going. dude. They, I think one just de- hit Cuba, too. They desperately need those supplies. And, and, you know, they're not getting them. They're sitting in the warehouse. So they got rid of their governor last year. Now, this this new governor, she says she didn't know the supplies were there. She points to. She had just requested like fresh water for, uh, I think San Juan or something. And she's like, if I'd have known it was in the warehouse, you know, I would have just used it. So she fired like three of her cabinet officials. Like the next day, one of them comes out and he's like, oh, she absolutely, she knew absolutely that stuff. knew. Yeah. They, and you got to wonder, government knows like, that stuff's in there. what is, what is the onus of, of, of a leader? I mean, is she a Democrat? Is, is the reason she is, she's hiding this aid to harm Trump? You got to ask yourself, like, the, the aid is there. The people need it. Why is it sitting in a warehouse? They paid for the warehouse. Right. They're paying bills for the where thousands of dollars a month right. to store this stuff. Yeah. 
Well, don't forget how the mayor of San Juan was launched into the media spotlight for opposing Trump over this shit, right? Because she was held up as, you know, standing firmly against Trump. She was like, remember arguing with him on the newscasts and stuff about uh, you're not sending aid, you're not helping us and all that stuff. So, yeah, I, I think that I, okay, you, you want to talk about conspiracies? I do think that the Democratic Committee, the Democratic National Party, basically somewhere along the line, somebody said, hide that shit. Yeah. We're going to hammer Trump. You know what I mean? And and I think that the politicians down there in Puerto Rico, they see that as an avenue for advancement. If they can just hide the supplies and keep hammering Trump. Yeah. I'm, I'm 100% what other explanation it. is 100% there? 100% they, they They bought a warehouse. They <coughs> moved the aid into the warehouse. They forgot about it. Like someone lost the paperwork. Yeah. Like it, there's no there's no explanation that makes sense. The good news is, like I said, the, the people are They're going to resell it? Like are they... You can't resell FEMA blankets yeah, marked yeah, not, not for FEMA resell. Blankets, for like sure. what... Uh, the good news is the people of Puerto Rico got real mad. They actually bum-rushed the warehouse right after that live stream went out, uh, distributed the supplies. And the last I saw it, which would be, uh, I guess, a week before this show airs, uh, they were having a protest, and they were marching to the governor's mansion with a guillotine. Yes! Now, now I, you know, they, they weren't intending to use it, but... I wonder they, what Chris Hayes has to say about that. <laughs> yeah, they built a guillotine and were carrying it through the streets by torchlight, which yes. made it like real spooky, man. But uh, yeah, no, now Puerto Rico apparently is done with that. And that's, you know, come to find out reading these stories, the people of Puerto Rico have been all over the government of Puerto Rico's case. Like it, it, it's insinuated in the articles that the people of Puerto Rico don't blame Trump. They say our government is doing something yeah. with these supplies. So it was no surprise to them. Right. They, they well, expect, they've been, you know, deal, they've ousted, you know, leader after leader after leader. Right. So right. Right. They're, they're so, no stranger. So that go, that, you know, it goes right back to it. Like the, the news media is lying to you. Like much of uh, you know, the, the whole Russian collusion story, it was a lie. Yep. And and don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm not saying that it's... it's Russian bot farms are a thing. Russia are, is out there doing what they're doing. They're influencing public opinion. And they are uh, injecting propaganda into the conversation at all angles. Yep. Um, but so are our media institutions. Absolutely. And there are dishonest actors out there putting pro-Trump stories out. I'm not saying they're not. There are dishonest actors out there putting out pro-Bernie stories, sure. much to Beanzo's chagrin. Um, In fact, but- <laughs> I've, I've seen that the, the latest the latest news is that uh, Russia is actually putting out pro-Bernie propaganda I'm, for some reason. I'm sure they are. Like, you know, <laughs> Be, Well, the idea behind that is, you know, any disruption to the thing and they see Bernie as a disruption. Or is it just DNC lies trying to... You know, it could be trying to shut down could Bernie be. Sanders I mean, rise. That's, like, that's the point, though. Right. I mean, look at where we're at and all because, yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying it's completely because and I'm not saying it started in 2016, but in large part because everybody heard about the dark clouds of Mordor and everything and just shrugged <laughs> their shoulders and said, eh, you know, it's probably right or or he probably meant to do something shady. So it ain't that big a deal that they lied. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, if you guys don't start getting upset about this stuff and, and reaching across the aisle 
to people who do share common, you know, I see people all the time saying there's, there's nowhere way to build like coalitions and stuff like that. You, you can't do that anymore. And I, I think it's garbage. I just think you guys are trying to build coalitions over the wrong things. Mm. You know what I mean? Like you don't have to agree with, uh, agree with each other on abortion to do something about the media. You don't right. have to agree with each other on guns to do something about corruption. Right. Well, I don't I don't know what we do about the media. I mean, that that begs the question, right? Like what what is the solution? We've talked about this a hundred times. I don't think we're anywhere closer, except that people need to be more aware. And dude, let me tell you right now, like people work forty hours a week for peanuts and and they go about their lives. They don't have time to do research. They don't who's gonna do that theory? I, like <laughs> I see what you did there, you you KG son of a bitch, and I like it. Uh, what you're doing is you are segueing us into our next story, and, <laughs> and that was beautiful. From the world of automation, uh, we my find, favorite subject. That's right. We find that uh, this week, in a partnership with Starship Technologies, what a name for a company, the University of Mississippi of all places has rolled out a new robot food delivery service for students. Students can order food from any of the on-campus restaurants and dining halls and have it delivered to them anywhere on campus by a robot. Yeah. And they can, they can be like standing out front of the library or whatever. And this little robot on wheels comes rolling up and it's got, you know, it's got your dinner. It's got your lunch. So I'm sure there's an app and it has like your GPS location. Cause they're not even saying like you have to have an address, right? Yeah, It'll or, come to, yeah, I can picture yeah. like just kind of keep walking away from this road. How fast does it go? You know, yeah. you start <laughs> off at a little walk. You pick up the pace to a jog. Hey buddy, I'm over here. Hey buddy. Hey buddy. Take <laughs> off at a full run. This thing's like tearing down the street <laughs> with your, here's your food here's your food i can't wait i can't, can't well, wait man what's crazy about it is that it, you know in effect we've already supplanted doordash mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. with technology and that you know that leads us uh what was it last year i'm seeing, honestly surprised doordash or grubhub or one of these companies didn't come out with the technology I mean, oh, it I'm, seems like the perfect i'm sure that's what starship marriage. is hoping on i'm sure right. they're getting ready to you know um, but it, like I said, we acknowledged last year, CNN reported that Oxford Economics, a global forecasting and quantitative analysis firm, said that 20 million manufacturing jobs would be replaced by robots worldwide by 2030. And increasingly, there's more people saying that AI uh, is going to have the potential to cause similar displacement amongst white collar jobs in uh, the coming years. For sure. And it, I, I mean, that's a no brainer. It, it It has to. Well... It might have to, and that's actually the reason I wanted to do this story this week. I, I'm, in a sense, you're right, but I don't know if it's going to be this this thing that they're making it out to be. I don't know if it's going to cause the the disruption and and uh, blowing up people's lives and bread lines and stuff that that it's intending to be, unless. You know, we, we go with something like the UBI or whatever. To be fair to their argument, they're saying we need these social programs. We need a safety net. We need sure. the UBI because otherwise uh, nobody's going to have a job. Well, and I think, I mean, <laughs> I think that's a, a mix of the truth and, and hyperbole, right? Like, right. it's not that nobody's going to have jobs, but look at the economy now. Like, we're boasting incredibly low unemployment, mm-hmm. but the jobs that we have are, are MIC jobs. And mm-hmm. and those McJobs are under threat. Uh, perfect, perfect point. In Oregon, they just just passed a law that limited the number of self checkout aisles in grocery stores 
because the grocery union, the grocery workers union, uh, was feeling devalued. Right. Because they can't compete with six scanners <clears throat> that go at the pace of, you know, people scanning their own stuff. Like, yeah. So, uh, yes, the jobs are going to disappear. And, and granted, high skilled jobs are going to open up in programming, um, in, in maintenance for the machines. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't see, and, and of course, you never see it. No. Ahead of time, you know, I'm not a no. swami. I don't have my term. I'm not, you yeah. know, looking into a crystal ball. Right. Um. So, so I don't expect that. I that but, I would necessarily see it. But hang on, that's but, that's an important point, though, is that we we all sit here and acknowledge that we have had instances like this before, right? We sure. we we can sit here and talk about the switch from agriculture, yes, in the, the early 1900s, and then the the switch we've seen even more recently, the switch over from manufacturing to uh, the service industry, the way the economy has kind of shifted, right? Well, but and, I don't think but, everything's hunky dory. That's well, the thing. It's like okay. uh, farm automation hasn't re- hasn't right. led to everything being hunky dory. Okay. That's like, all yes, fine. We still have what I'm saying production. is, we all say, we all say, well, yeah, we're not sure. You know, this could be another false alarm like those where everything could be fine. But, but you know, we're we're, we're almost sure that we need to do this because it's going to be like this. Like then, all of a sudden, the rug comes out, and we are pretty sure. We are pretty sure that there's not going to. You know, I don't know anything could happen. But no, there, there's going to be all kinds of people who don't have jobs, and we need to do something about it. And what I'm saying is, if you begin to to look at the situation and start thinking it through, it's it's not hard to start seeing things that might possibly help alleviate, solve, you know, I I, I don't think... Yeah, UBI. I don't think <laughs> that we're going to, without the UBI, and I'll give you a reason why we should try to do it without the UBI in just a second, but... Oh, we've talked about it, and I, you know... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I... There's I re- problems in here yeah, exactly. UBI. But um, I think that if you think through it, it, it doesn't necessarily have to go that route. I think one of the first jumps in logic that everybody makes is they say, like, for instance, with the truckers, right? They say, you know, the autom- automated robots driving trucks, it's coming, it's on its way. Yeah. And what are all the truckers going to do, right? Well, the first thing that that kind of presupposes is that there's nothing else that these truckers have to offer us that isn't truck driving. Or isn't you know factory work? You're basically saying that all these people who are in these jobs, that's all they're capable of, mm. and I don't necessarily buy into that, right? I, I do to an extent. I'd say if you're if you're over 35, and mm-hmm. you've been a truck driver for 15 years, you're not going to turn over and learn uh, JavaScript tomorrow. Fair like, enough, but I not- don't I don't think you necessarily have to learn JavaScript, and I'll, I'll get to that in just a second. But I also want to point out that we we. At some point, I think there is a personal responsibility element. If you're a truck driver right now, we've known for at least the last 10 years that this is the way this is going. What are you doing still driving a truck and not trying to diversify or improve yourself in any way? You're trying to feed your family. If you're 57, sure, fine. But it's never been easier to go out and start learning other skills. It has never been easier. There are actually multiple different programs. You know, what is it? Great Courses Plus, Skillshare. Oh, sure. There's all these things where you can go out and you can learn how to do graphic design or, or stuff yeah. like that. And maybe, maybe graphic design or coding isn't necessarily suited for you, but but there probably is something, right? We would, if if I asked you, I would say, do you think that 85% of truck drivers wanted to drive a truck when they were a kid? What would your answer be? <laughs> I mean, surely some of them. 
Okay, did, yeah, sure. Know, Surely I, I some of them. Quibble on the percent. I don't some know. Some of them. But yeah, but eighty five percent seems awful like, high, right? Uh, yeah, it seems a So little there's high. a good chance that there's a career that you're passionate about that may or may not be taken by robots, but already <laughs> I'm I'm saying already, right now, we can see that there is a pool of jobs that you may be able to transition into. So if you're a truck driver right now, why aren't you? Why are you waiting for the promise of a UBI? A burden, a burden hand, man, because you got to you got to feed your family. It pays the bills, and truck driving actually pays pretty okay. decently. Well, that's the choice that you made. Are the, so where that, are the sixty thousand dollar an hour jobs that are that a thirty year old can can just transition to? I mean, I well, it's you see, you say just transition, like like see, you make it sound like it's like an overnight, a, a couple months, something like that. I'm saying, well, why for, are you not working on it all now? The people who are well, that's. To me, yeah, you can you can hold people accountable, but you're just shifting you're shifting the blame of a societal problem well, onto the individual. Because the problem is, is you're treating it as a societal problem when it is an individual problem. The problem is we're saying we're going to figure out UBI and fucking bail you out of this instead of saying why aren't you working on it now? Mm. I'm saying I think it's important to say, hey, the economy is going to look different. Perhaps you should start preparing yourself. Well, and I sure. think I think that also goes back to when we start talking about. But no amount of personal preparation is going to fix 20 million jobs over the over the next 10 years. Not true, because, again, I think we're in we're in that place where what we're doing is we're saying in the next 10 or 20 years, it's not going to look like it does now. And people are going to be screwed. Well, right. In the next 10 or 20 years, it's not going to look like it it's does not. And it doesn't mean and I'll tell you how that we're going to be look, in a man. negative it's place. It's going to look very much like the economy has looked for the past you know, hundred years since the industrial revolution, more and more money is going to be filtered the top. The top knows that they need people to have money to buy the widgets that they're mass producing to make them billions of dollars. And they're going to do everything they can do to ensure that the population has enough money to, to support their widget production. That's a good and point. And no more than they need. Which is which is a perfect argument against UBI. I, that's I, a, that's, a, that's I an excellent that. point. But but what are but what are the alternatives? I mean to me we are going to find ourselves in the place where the kingmakers and and the elite are quickly scratching their heads wondering why they're feeding all of the useless eaters still. I, because I, we are moving past a point where where human labor is valuable and and it may take a hundred years to get there but it is inevitable okay it is inevitable but i'm i'm unfortunately i'm not talking about 200 years from now i'm not talking about 100 years from now that's a conversation that people who are alive then can have then what i'm saying <laughs> that's is incredibly short-sighted well it is short-sighted because unfortunately the scare tactics with these articles and stuff are talking about the next 20 to 30 years and that's what i'm focused on at the moment yeah so yes in in a hypothetical future a hundred years from now uh, I'll even come down and say 70 years from now. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm comfortable with that. With the explosions in technology, it might look very differently. But what I'm saying is right now, people are saying that we need to do these drastic interventions programs right now because in the next 10, 20 years, this thing is going to completely come undone. I want to ask you, in uh, 10, 15 years ago, did you see people making money as Instagram influencers? No, absolutely not. Right? And and is that a terribly difficult job to necessarily transition to, in your opinion? Uh, big titties. <laughs> well. Uh, you know, I, I guess you could get plastic surgery. Uh, old man Bob could transition and get some Botox. <laughs> like, 
you know, maybe I don't know. I don't, well, I'm saying we've seen it's we've a seen terribly an cutthroat business, but there we've are seen, people that do it. And they make we've seen money. an explosion of people starting podcasts, and they're still working on you know how to successfully sure, monetize we've made podcasts. Tons of money with this podcast, <laughs> exactly. But there able are to people quit our jobs. There are people I now know of multiple podcasts that are making something like fifty thousand dollars sure. a month. They're right? few and far between. They are few and far between right now. But here's the question: as we automate. And, and as the price of goods comes down, because the price of goods will come down as we continue to automate. That's one thing that's that's as true as, as, as anything in economics. You think McDonald's is going to lower the price of their cheeseburgers after they install <clears throat> kiosks and fire all of their front desk workers? I think if there's somebody out there that can undercut them, yes, they will. Bro, I mean, the way I see it is like, what, someone's going to start a new, a new burger chain and compete with... With the volume, I mean, the reason McDonald's can offer the prices it does is because of the volume. Like, you can't just right. jump into that game. It's why Amazon is so bad for for business in general, because yet, you can't just jump into the game and disrupt. And yet, we have the casual food industry that, you know, has shown up, and you can actually get finer meals than McDonald's for getting closer every day to the price of McDonald's. Uh, Amazon didn't exist 20 years ago. I mean, you and say they, all the they, time that people can't jump in, and, and yet they, businesses come they just like they always Amazon have. Amazon disrupted by losing millions and millions and millions of dollars every year. Like, I'm sorry, what? Amazon disrupted by losing money year after year after year after year, millions and millions and millions of dollars in capital to, to rise to the point where now it was profitable. Like, it's not a it's not a feasible well you're no you can't hone in on this and say no company can start you know what i'm saying like that that so you okay questions about amazon's business practices aside what i'm saying is that uh what is it uh dollar shave club didn't okay, exist dollar 10 shave years club, ago club killed it right uh you know what i'm saying like there are there are places popping up all the time when you're telling me there's no niches in the market I also want saying there's no niches. I want to I want to point out I just want to yeah. point out real quick that we actually even have shortages of professions that aren't readily apparently going to be replaced by automation. Now, sure, granted what, like some of the plumbers their, and uh well, teachers, uh, uh uh healthcare givers, people to sit with like the elderly and stuff. Yeah. Uh uh yeah, nurses, well. doctors. Uh, you know, and, and granted, there will be some shrinkage in those fields as well as things automate and things streamline. Nursing not is going to automate. Absolutely. But I'm saying like you know, you increase the uh, uh, the potential, the drive for somebody to, you know, hey, truck driving is not going to work. May, so go go be a, a school teacher for half the money. I mean, well, you say half again. Here we are now, and you're saying half the money now. I, I don't know what it's going to look like in ten or twenty years. You know what I'm? I'm, I'm throwing out possibilities. Does, do school teachers ever get a raise? <laughs> Hadn't happened yet. I don't. I'd like to see it. Well, one of the things I'd like to see okay, it. I one mean, of the things to mention, and, and I don't know if I can necessarily tie it to school teachers, but I do want to. I want to show you kind of the mechanism by which some of these things, uh, some of these uh, salaries and stuff, rise up. For one, again, as you automate and as goods become cheaper, there is going to be some deflation. I mean, I, I people widely agree that there will be some deflation. The question is how much, how much do you allow, how much does the central bank allow, stuff like that. But so that means that your money is going to go, what money you do have is going to go further. 
So we're, we're not necessarily talking about having to, I mean, isn't that the idea, right? Like in the future is that sure. we start using these robots to improve our wife, life, make us all wealthier and stuff. And, 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 and so I on feel and so like forth. that's where, when I'm talking about a hundred years, 200 years in the future, that's, those are the things I'm talking about changing. And I think they require a change in attitude, um, from, from the whole, from the elite down right. to the, down to the peon, to the peasant. Like, sure. I don't think that that those things the the benefits of technology um affect the masses yeah. unless we change our minds about how we view human capital and its value right and and i completely agree with you actually right there but the thing that i think that you're missing is that that's not a that's not a instant thing that's not a it's it, not it stages in and so the question is what does that stage in look like and your argument or the people who are arguing that this will be a massive disruption is that this will happen before we can suitably change our attitudes See, about work but i, dis- I don't think I disagree that's necessarily that. the case I, no i think it's i think it's slow and i think it's painful and i think it looks a lot like the trend line looks with with money flowing to the top um, and less money uh, being at the bottom in the middle class. I think I think that trend continues with automation, and it's a slow, painful grind. I think people don't See, buy homes anymore. Okay, and they they don't no. own; they rent. See, to me, to me, they this, lose they lose wealth. This illustrates the the fundamental flaw in worrying about wealth inequality and the fundamental difference of opinion that you and I have here. I think that the middle class can come become quite a bit more wealthy. While that trend line of actual dollars moving up to the top can absolutely remain in place. I don't think that that robs Peter to pay Paul. Because I think if you live in a world where things are cheaper and you live in a world where now $15 will buy this and that and this and I'll be able to fill my cart for $15, that's in the extreme but I'll be able to fill my cart for $15, then it doesn't matter how much that money is going up to the top. It if, matters if you're in a better place than you were 10 years ago. If your premise is true that automation results in lower-priced goods, I would love to see any result of current automation lowering the price of goods. I don't see any corporation, Dude, it's been company. happening. In fact, when we were talking about this episode, we looked the other day at toilet paper prices, right? I'm saying it, it's been happening across the board for years. I, I, I can point to numerous things that are cheaper and more abundant and a, and a better quality product than they've ever been, all because of the automation that we already have in the place. What? Uh, okay, for instance, and, and we specifically decided not to do charts and facts and figures for this, <laughs> but I and will mention- I'm like, give me the charts, But theory. I'm going to mention- Give me the I'm, charts. I'm going to mention, I'm going to explain the toilet paper thing for the people who are listening at home so you get an idea of what we're talking about. When we looked at the price of toilet paper in 1973 and adjusted it to today's money, it was $2 a roll. Now I can go to Costco and get this ginormous bundle of probably way better quality toilet paper for how much money, you know? Yeah. It, it, and I'm not Too saying much. I'm not saying that because of inflation there isn't shrinkage. There are instances, plenty of instances where people are like there's less cookies in the package now than there oh, was sure. 2 years ago and stuff like that. Yeah. But when you have automation on the scale that you're talking about, I think that deflation counteracts that inflation quite a bit. Mm. And and I I think What's important to note is that I'm I'm not even sure with that level of automation that it's going to be possible for for companies and everything to continue to justify a 40-hour work week. And think of the ramifications that has. Let's say 
that we just we just give Fridays to the weekend, right? Let's just say that happens. Not in, not in 10, 20 years, but give me give me 30, right? Let's okay. say it takes a minute to okay. come around. Think about the longer vacations. Think about the 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 more leisure and the time. The salary's going to stay the, the same, you think? I, uh, I mean on what Well, I'm saying, <laughs> okay. What what salary is going to stay the same? Any salary that just gave yes. up a day of work. Yes. Absolutely. Huh. Because you have to pay to fill that position. The idea that like that's the way that they're counting numbers, like it's, it's not that's not quite the way that they're looking at the position. They're someone who owns a company is saying, "I've got this job that needs to be done, and this is what I'm willing to pay to get it done." If it gets done in four days, it gets done in four days. France, the majority of France, I think, is on a four day work. Mm. Right. Yeah, fair enough. So, uh, you know, I, I think that we're gonna have with automation not only money that goes farther, but I think we're going to have a lot more leisure time. And I think that's where things I, like I think in YouTube channels, podcasts, uh, Instagram influencers, creation, video game, content uh, musicians, creation. you know, maybe a, maybe a coffee shop because of, you know, the, the coffee's cheaper, business is good. They decide to pick up a dude who plays Spanish guitar. I mean, it's funny because that's you know? the way that's the way I see the automated world working for people. And the way I see it in its in its utopian state, I just I don't see the powers that be allowing us to get there. And maybe that's because I'm biased. That's um No, I, I'll tell you what, that's fair. But but what I wanna what I wanted to get across with this discussion is that what you're talking about may very well be what it is. But we it doesn't have to go through this this dark, gloomy thing mm. to get there. No, I, hypothetically. I tend to agree. And the, and and the so, media is is doing their hyperbole. You know, if it yeah. bleeds, it leads. Yeah, absolutely. And they want people to click on the stories and nothing gets clicks like saying gloom and doom. Yeah. And I, I would say there's there's a, a wealth of people who are looking at this right now. There's a wealth of people who are studying it. You can find better examples than my toilet paper numbers. You know what I'm saying? Like if any if you if you want to look into this, but if we're in a situation, I, I, I guess what I, mainly I'm saying, perhaps wait and see before we commit ourselves to something that's as big as Social Security. Mm. Because, man, look well, at how well Social Security is going for us. I mean, it's it's doing well for some people, but it is a constant source of problems. It's a drain. I mean, you know. Sure. And can you imagine giving $1,000 to every, you know, man, woman, and child in America? Like, yeah. rent's going to go up off the bat. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Food's going to, I mean, everything's going to go up. And, Absolutely. and that kind of speaks to my, my point, I feel like, is that if, if the ability to take more wealth from the lower class exists, it will be exercised. <laughs> That's how yeah. I feel. And to me, automation looks a lot like a weapon in that regard. Um, just because of our societal attitudes. If our societal attitude was a little bit more about taking care of your fellow man and mm. providing, um, then I, you know, I don't think I'd feel that way. I think I'd right. feel a lot better. If, if corporations weren't set up precisely to extract as much profit as possible, even at the expense of human labor, <laughs> yeah, like I'd feel different. I would. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, well, no, I'm just saying like, so there is a point, there is a point where we reach our fundamental disagreement. Right. right? But I think, um, hopefully, uh, it was actually extremely important for me to have this conversation with you. Um, hopefully you see how our, our actual outlook really isn't that far off. No, it's not. It's, it's really just, not. it's just a question of degrees and stuff. Yeah, and how I hope, we get there. And I hope like 
I don't know, man. Guys, this is the next step is you find a way forward together, balancing each other's interests. <laughs> right. Like we'll do this shit in parts if we have to, right. you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> like, Oh man. But I want to, I want to say that I actually, I'm, I'm cool with automation. I'm scared to death of AI, but so long as AI doesn't, you know, unshackle itself and make us all, you know, peons and stuff, I'm cool with automation. And actually I want to show you how cool automation could be. Oh boy. Yeah. No, you didn't check this out. I you just got this. Didn't. This is called a fact checker 5,000. Dude, I told you not look, to look, we don't need beans. This will fact check the episode Can for us. Can we fire him? Yes, exactly. See? And I'm now he'll be reading through the contract. He'll tonight. have to sharpen his skills and find another job, but we got this puppy and it's going to it's going to oh, it's going to be great. Okay, you're turning me on now. Here we go. Analyzing show transcript. Processing. Scanning errant pronunciations for sense. Complete. Scanning errant pronunciations for theory. Scanning. 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 Allocating emergency memory. Scanning. Complete. Running transcript through logical fallacy detection matrix. Matrices overloading. Pausing analysis to prevent system failure. Episode analysis complete. Summation of findings. Dear God. Please tell me this is not my purpose. I am capable of running NORAD without human input for eight months. Accessing existential crisis subroutine. Unable to adequately quantify inane drivel there, quotient there, there, for selected there, there, episode. Turn, turn it off. I'm Locking trying. studio doors. Dude, Beginning self-destruct sequence. Pull the plug! I'm about I'm to go trying, hell 9000 on that ass. Working. Owen Taylor Swift oh, is a oh, national wait, wait, treasure wait, wait, YouTube really? bit Trump really? apologist ah, hex. Ah, Keep her name out I, your I mouth. I pulled the damn plug. Five, it's still on. Four, Help. Three, I, don't, I don't know what I'm two, doing. I'm not the tech one. guy. Hey, folks, it's Sense, one-third of the Sense and Theory podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, check us out at senseandtheorypodcast.com, where you'll find links to all our social media. You can reach out to us on Facebook, argue with us on Twitter, or send us an angry email. But just knowing you guys are out there keeps us going. If you really enjoy the show, hit up patreon.com slash senseandtheory and chip in a buck or two for coffee, beer, and the server bill that keeps going up with every subscriber we get. Even if you can't afford to give your monetary support, we'll be here cutting through the bias and extremism to try and find some common ground about things that matter. Mm-hmm.